0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, um, I am a proud father of two little boys and uh, married to an amazing woman, Amy, who is 38 weeks pregnant. And literally at any moment, okay, yeah, you can clap for that, okay? I've got it handy uh, at any moment. I mean, she could call me. I'd I'd go, you know. Uh, We're there. We're at that point uh, in the uh, process and experience, and uh, in some ways, the fact that this is our third child makes it easier and makes it harder at the same time in different ways. Uh, It makes it easier in that we kind of know what to expect. We have a sense of how things play out, but it's harder Because we have all of this preparation to do for this new baby girl that's coming into our world, but meanwhile, we have these two precious boys that demand our attention all the time. So uh, the other day, we happened to have this four-hour window where our kids were being taken care of, and we had four hours to do some preparation to get the baby room set up, all that good stuff. And uh, that four-hour window was like this precious time, and we felt like we needed to own those four hours. We needed to just nail it, take advantage of every square second of that time. And so uh, Amy goes over to the baby room. The baby room is just like piled high with boxes and bins and clothes thrown everywhere. We just kind of stuffed stuff in there until we could get to it. So it was chaos, and I was in the garage. My job was to assemble a shelf. Because we needed to take some stuff that was in the baby room before it was a baby room and put it in the garage to store it to make some more room in the baby room. So my job's to build this shelf, create some more space. And so I go to the garage and I go to work and I'm you know, I've got the shelf open, but then I look over here and I remember there's this bike trailer that I've been intending to put on offer up and get rid of for a long time. And so I was like, yeah, you know, I'll take a picture of it, put it for sale, uh, and put it on offer up and then I notice, oh, you know, there's there's a couple more things I've been meaning to do that that are kind of taking up space. So I I take them out of our, um, you know, I take them out of our garage and kind of display them nicely, I'm like taking pictures and writing a description, you know, trying to make sure I, I give it nice appeal. And time goes on and Amy comes around. She's been working and organizing, sorting through clothes and such. And she comes in and the shelf isn't built. And the garage is messier than it was when, I, when it first got there. And stuff was thrown everywhere outside. And she reminds me, Justin, this is not organize the garage day. This is prepare for the baby day. And I'm like, totally. I'm on the same page with you, you know. At, you know I'm, I'm with you. I was just clearing space for the shelf. And, and so anyways, I get the shelf built up. And on that day, uh, mind you, I, I sold the bike trailer on offer up. Yeah, yeah. Very proud of myself. Um, so we got rid of that, created some more space in there, built the shelf. And Amy reminded me of a flaw in my personality, of a flaw in just the way that I am, I can just get caught up with things that are optional or like I'm the guy who's like setting out to do one thing, but I'll notice weeds in the lawn and I just have to like pick the weeds even though that's not what, and then I'll forget the original thing I was supposed to do. Uh, This is just how I am, unfortunately, and Amy just reminded me that there are some things that are essential that needs to get done and we can't miss what's essential for what's optional. I want to talk through a couple categories with you today because I think you have this in your life. You've experienced this in your life. There are things in life that are optional. That is, there's multiple choices, multiple decisions that could be made. And this is an option among many. There are some things then that are optimal, meaning there are a multiplicity of choices, but there's some choices that are best, are the most important. There are things that are optimal, like, yes, let's pursue that among the other choices. But then there's a different category altogether. There are some things that are essential. An essential thing in preparing for a baby is having a room that you're not going to trip and fall over boxes to access the baby's crib. Like, that's essential. Something that's optional is organizing your garage and posting things on OfferUp. Something that's optimal might be making sure the decorations are all set and everything's good and looks pretty on the walls. That's Some of you guys are like, no, that's essential. Okay, you understand, that's essential. But in the grand scheme of things, there are some things that are essential, some things optimal, some things optional. Today we're looking at a part in Jude, a passage in Jude, where Jude is going to engage with this category of essential. And what he's going to do for us is he's going to remind us that life is hard and time is short, and therefore we must not neglect what's essential because we get caught up with what's optional. We cannot neglect what's essential because with good intentions, we're focusing on what's optimal. There are some things that are so needed and necessary, we can't miss them. Jude is going to sound the alarm and raise our attention something that's essential. If we're gonna live a lives of purpose and meaning, a life that honors God and walks in the full nature of what God has for us, there's something essential that Jude is gonna draw to our attention. So with that, look with me, Jude. Verse 17 is where we're gonna start. We'll read to verse 19. Here's what Jude says. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Let me give you a little bit of a background. If you're newer to uh, our, our church and just hopping into Jude, we've been studying and exploring this short little letter in the Bible for some time. Just to recap what this letter is all about, Jude is one of the leaders in the early church. And Jude has this authority and responsibility given to him by Jesus. He's actually the half-brother of Jesus, which we explored in an earlier part of our teaching series. But Jude is given this responsibility, and he has this influence and relationship with a specific church that he's writing to. And the reason for his writing is that within this church community, there has arisen this faction, there's arisen this group that's gaining influence among that congregation that is teaching a way of life that is out of step with the teachings of Jesus, It's this group of people that's claiming a certain amount of authority and setting an example for the other members of that community that's leading people astray. They're basically following their own passions and desires, justifying things spiritually, finding ways to justify their own desires and passions. And Jude is calling these people out. And he's warning those who do follow Jesus, the faithful among them, to be cautious and weary and realize that there are some in their midst who are not who they say they are. So Jude issues this letter of warning. And here we read on in verse 17, we read about how Jude calls their situation to attention and reminds them of something they once heard before. He says, I want you to remember the predictions of the apostles. Now let's define our terms for a moment. The word apostle is a very Bible word, very churchy word. We don't use it very often unless we're talking about Bible things. So the word apostle is describing an individual who has been directly commissioned by the resurrected Jesus to hold a specific authority in advancing God's kingdom in the early church. Uh, And so this idea of an apostle, those who had this this special authority and a special revelation from Jesus where they saw the resurrected Jesus and Jesus commissioned them to be leaders of this new movement called the church. Here Jude says, hey, the apostles, they had a specific prediction I want to recall to your minds. I want you to remember, beloved, they predicted that in the last times, scoffers would come. Now, scoffer here is used, this is one of those words used often in the New Testament and in the Old Testament as well. This idea of a scoffer is someone who on the outside looks like they talk the talk and looks like they are a person who maybe spiritually impresses you. Maybe they're charismatic or they have some measure of persuasiveness of speech. But a scoffer is someone who's all sizzle on the outside but no substance on the inside. They're fake. They're hypocrites. They're false teachers. They're those who lead people astray. And the apostles apparently predicted that in the last times, that certain men, certain individuals, certain teachers would rise up these scoffers. And what's interesting here is Jude gives us this time framework. He says, in the last times. Now, Let's do a little bit of, of homework here. This is a phrase that's used often in the New Testament as well. The word last there comes, in our English Bibles, comes from a Greek word. That's the Greek word eschatos. It's the word that we get the idea of eschatology, which is the study of the end times from. Judas is saying in the last, in the eschatos, in the final times, the end times, The word for time there in Greek is the word chronos. That's where we get the word chronological from in that Greek word, so it's describing time. Jude says, in the last times, scoffers will come. Then notice what verse 19 does. Look back down at your Bible, at the text. He reminds them of the predictions of the apostles. And then he says, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Here's what Jude is doing. He reminds them of the predictions of the apostles, that scoffers would come in the end times, in the last times. And then he says, now these, those toxic individuals in your community that are gaining influence and prominence, that are leading people astray, he connects those individuals with the prediction of the apostles about the end times. Are you following me? He's connecting this prediction with what's happening in their present about 2,000 or so years ago. And he's saying, this is something that we shouldn't be surprised by. This is something that the apostles told us would happen. And so Jude is connecting this. Now, immediately, uh, for those of us who are Jesus followers, and maybe if you're here and you're, you're newer to Christianity, maybe someone has invited you or sent you this message uh, and just shared this with you. For those of you who are new to Christianity, I just immediately, I just, Want to have a moment of levity here for a moment because this concept of end times, this idea, this area of theology, eschatology sometimes uh, we refer to it as, um, I feel like as a believer in Jesus who's been following Jesus for some time, I feel like I'm qualified to just for a moment make fun of us Christians about this concept of end times. Because many of us, I mean, we have a complicated and dysfunctional relationship with the end times. I mean, for many of us, I mean, we, many of us are fascinated by the end times. Like we have all sorts of, maybe we spent a whole lot of time trying to study end times. Like how is this all going to play out? And at the same time, we are completely perplexed by them. If you could put a relationship status to a Christian's relationship with the end times, often it's complicated, it's perplexing. Some of us, we've derived our whole understanding of end times based on a fictional book and movie series with the guy from Growing Pains, okay? And and we formulated a whole entire view of things based on, well, this is how it played out in the movie I saw, you know? And and this is a, a confusing and perplexing topic for many Christians. And it's not just a confusing topic for Christians. I mean, essentially every tradition, every religious view has some picture or vision of what time looks like in the end, of where the world is all heading. Different religious traditions have a view of what the end will look like. They might give it a different name, have a different category for it, but different traditions have a view of the end times. And as a pastor, I often get asked this question. I get asked about, you know, what do you think about what's happening in our world today? Are we living in the end times, you know? And I, I'm just so grateful that we've been studying through Jude, and Jude brought us to this point, you know, in his letter, where he makes it so clear for us. And so I want to answer that question. If you're taking notes, write, write this down. Number one, in, in your notes, I think we know this for certain. Number one, we are living in the end times. Why don't you write that down? We are living in the end times. Right now, we're living in the end times. And make sure you write that ellipsis, those dot, dot, dot. Because there's more to that sentence. Because we are living in the end times, and so did every generation of Christians that came before us. What do I mean by that? Look with me closely at what Jude is doing. He's calling attention to their current circumstance 2,000 years ago. And he's saying, hey, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised by that. The apostles told us this would happen in the end times in the final, in the eschatos chronos. We we were told this would happen. And just in case you're like, wait a minute, what what are you saying here? This is confusing, this blows up my category. This is not the only place that the New Testament does this. I wanna invite you to look with me at 1 Peter chapter one, verse 20. This is a way in which the apostle Peter describes the life and ministry of Jesus. Listen to this. This is Peter describing Jesus. He says, Jesus was foreknown... Before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the, what are the words? Same words. Last times for the sake of you who through Jesus are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I could go on. Acts chapter 2, the first sermon of the early church. The apostle Peter stands up, and he is quoting uh, the prophet Joel. It's this crazy scene. Peter's standing in front of this massive crowd of people, and there's a group of believers in Jesus. This new messianic movement has started, and they're all speaking in different languages. And you read it for yourself. In Acts 2, the people in the crowd, they think these people are drunk, Like, what's happening here? And Peter says, hey, don't be shocked. Joel told us about this a couple centuries ago. He says, don't you know in the last days, in the eschatos, don't you know that God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and my sons will prophesy my name and speak different languages? Didn't you know that this would happen? We could go on. Hebrews chapter one, the writer of Hebrews begins his powerful letter by saying, hey, in the former days, God spoke to us through his prophets, but in these last eschatos days, God spoke to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so here, Jude is drawing the attention of his people, saying, this is just what we would expect. Now, what does all this mean? Let's put this together. What does all this mean? Here's what this means. That the gospel, the good news that God has looked at humanity, every single one of us, in our hopeless lostness, in our perfect imperfection. He's looked at us in our destitute state of being spiritually dead, and God has responded in love by sending forth his son, Jesus Christ, as a rescuer, where God has broken through. That's right. He's broken through and he's come to save and to rescue. And Jesus, the presence of God, God himself has come to live among us. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he died on a cross where he became our substitute. And on the cross, Jesus Christ is losing his life. He's laying down his life. What is he doing? He's taking the sin and guilt of humanity upon himself. He's absorbing the judgment that our sin deserves. We should be hanging on that cross. And Jesus dies in our place. He gives up his life. He says it is finished because sin has been paid for. And then Jesus rises up from the dead three days later. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This has been God's plan and purpose for a long time, that in the last times... In the end times, God would send forth his son to rescue and redeem humanity, setting forth and initiating his cosmic plan of restoration and renewal in the world. And as his followers, as Jesus's people, Jesus then invites us to participate in his work of renewing all things in our world's in our lives, to be agents of his love and justice and righteousness and peace so that we, those who follow Jesus, are this end times remnant here on earth that represent the kingdom of God. You say, wait a minute, I thought the end times is sometime in the future, we're waiting, there's you know, things that are gonna happen. Jesus told about yes. But the biblical understanding of end times is that they have begun and at the same time they are still to come. It's complicated and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but the biblical New Testament view is that the kingdom of God already arrived in Jesus. It's here. And at the same time, Jesus himself taught us to pray, God, may your kingdom come. As though his kingdom is not yet fully here. And so there's a sense in which God's end time work through the church has begun. It's here. And at the same time, it's still to come. So Jude, here just, Shows, shows us with clarity, yes, we're living in the final times. Now, a couple of quick, brief pastoral words about this before we continue on and look at what the next verse teaches us. First, when it comes to this area of end times, I would just encourage you to be cautious and discerning about the sources and voices that you allow to shape your understanding of the end times. There's a lot of really poor theology. There's a lot of really, really deceptive, Uh, sources that claim a certain measure of authority and specificity, that claim to know specifics that nobody else knows, that found some secret hidden code in the Bible. Like, that's not the purpose of the scripture. How cruel of God to give us a book that has some secret code that if you just knew the right numbers and if you put them together and you added them up and you did all this stuff, maybe one day somebody will find it and crack it and sell millions of copies of books that claim to have some special insight. No, it's not a secret code to be cracked. It's to give all believers hope. The believers in the first century who received these documents 2,000 years ago, it meant something for them too. How could it be just something that was waiting some secret current event to happen to make sense? No, 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 be very careful, be cautious, be discerning. Second uh, caution is in line with it is that we should be very, very careful to make sure we keep a historical perspective on things. It's been a crazy year. There's been a lot of conversation about end times. And what I would say is yes, we're living in the end times along with every generation of Christians that's come before us. But it's helpful for us to keep a historical perspective. Remember there was that time in human history when there was nation that rose against nation and there was this thing called the war to end all wars? You remember that time in human history where then another war among nations broke out, so they had to rename that war to World War I, the First World War, because a second one broke out? where millions of people across the globe lost their life. Like there's been crazy seasons in human history before. And so it's important for us as believers to not freak out, to not get antsy and anxious and pessimistic and realize we've called to be agents of love and justice and peace and mercy, to be a voice for God's presence right here in our crazy world. That's our calling. That's what he invites us into. And then just finally, just add this. If your view of the end times is producing fear or pessimism or anxiety in you, it might be a cue that your sources might not be as reliable. If you're being caused a sense of being afraid, when if you are a believer in Jesus, the purpose of eschatology is to offer you hope. To stir up joy and faithfulness and trust in you. And so I'm thankful that when Jesus was asked about the end times, that he said, No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows exactly when it'll come. It'll come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. I'm glad he said that because if he gave us a specific date that someone could put together or find or crack a code and know when it's gonna come. What would that be but an excuse to laziness and inactivity on behalf of God's people because it's already set. It's going to happen. And so what is Jesus doing in, giving us in this, leaving us in this place? And what is Jude describing here? Here's what he's talking about. He's saying life is hard and time is short. We cannot miss what's essential because we're consumed with what's optional. He could return tomorrow. He could come the next day. We don't know. What I do know from Jude is that we are living in the last times. And here's what he says next. Look at verse 20. He continues on and he says this. Jude writes, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude says, life is hard. Time is short. The the apostles told us this would take place. We shouldn't be surprised. In the last times there's going to be scoffers. But as for you, you build each other up. As for you, you stir up one another's faith. As for you, you like interconnected stones that depend on one another, build each other up. Be in such connectedness with one another as he's writing to this community. Be so connected to each other that it's like these stones are laying on top of them, being supported by you, and you are being supported by other stones that are helping erect you and build you up, edify you into this building, this structure that's pleasing to God. It's temple imagery, temple language that's being used here by Jude. So Jude would call us to prioritize to view as essential these relationships that happen in the in the faith community and so here's the second thing i want you to write down second note number 2 is that christian community is not optional or even optimal it's essential christian community relationships within your faith they're not optional they're not optimal they are essential Why do I say that that's the case? Because there are some things in life that are optional. And here's God's purpose for your life. God's purpose for your life is Christ-likeness, that you become like Jesus. God is making you, if you're a Jesus follower, into someone who is more like Jesus and living like Jesus lived. And if that's God's purpose for you, then he's going to work to that end. And here's the thing about God. God uses people to grow people. God has used people in my life to grow me. God has used people in your life to grow you. This is how God works. We know this is the case because when God showed up to grow people, he did it this way too. Jesus led through relationship. He built a network of people. He shared his life with his disciples and invested in them. Jesus didn't just teach to crowds. He sat with his friends around campfires community, it's something that's essential. It's not optional. It's not even optimal. It's something we absolutely need. And if we're going to remain faithful in the last times, when there are scoffers, when there are people who would take our eyes and try and pry them away from Jesus, if we're going to remain faithful to him and experience all that God has for us, then we need to Bump up and reprioritize connectedness with other believers in Jesus. We need that in our life. Another reason why it's essential is that we are all going to experience at some point or another in our lives, we're gonna experience moments of suffering, moments of pain. Those moments will come, and just about the only thing worse than suffering is suffering alone is suffering and there being no one to just talk to or cry on, no one to step in. One of the things that community does, that relationships within the body of Christ does, is it gives us strength when we're suffering. It's been amazing to watch over the years, moments when people from our church, even moments in my own life, in my family's life, when someone has experienced something difficult, is walking through suffering, and to see the way in which the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, the church, shows up and lends strength to that person in their moment of weakness. There have been times in this past year even where there's an individual at our church and this individual is going through a, a just a terribly awful time and there, there was this season where there was an army of people from our church basically saying, we know you're weak right now, borrow strength from us. Borrow being on us. We need that. We all go through those moments in life. The other reason why it's essential, something we've talked about already, is life is confusing and life is hard. Something that the Bible teaches us all throughout the story of Scripture is that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. That community provides this network of people that we can draw wisdom from, that we can learn from, that when we're confused, we can go to and say, here's what I've got going on. This could be with matters of even studying the Bible. Hey, I'm confused about this. There's something powerful about saying to someone, hey, can you help me out? Can you help me understand what this is? Of in your small group saying, hey, can you help me? No, I I read this the other day. It was a little bit confusing. And then they could say, well, hmm, this is what I've found that's helpful. Or, wow, I never thought about that before. That's confusing. We should ask our leader. And we, in the context of our relationships, can, be received, can receive counsel. Now, um, for those of us in the room who are DIY people, do it yourself people, where are you at in the room? Raise your hand, okay? You, if there's a problem, you fix it. You're not calling someone, okay? That's insulting to think you would call someone to, to fix it, okay? You are going to fix it, you are going to figure it out. If there's a problem with your car, okay? Mechanics, who needs them? I've got this, okay? You're that type of person. Now, there was an invention in human history that basically, you know, is the DIY person's best friend. I mean, it just makes DIY so much easier. Do it yourself so much easier. It's YouTube. Now anybody can become a DIY person. You don't need like skill. You just follow along like, hey, my filter in my Frigidaire 2014 model is broken. In YouTube, hey, there's 40,000 views. There's people just like me, okay? And it walks you through how to fix it. Now, here's, here's the humor of that, right? Super helpful in our time and in our moment to be able to have that kind of just Google something, YouTube it. But sometimes we bring that type of approach into spiritual things. And when we have questions and we're confused about something, we're quick to go to YouTube or Google Or some source that's famous or someone that has a channel we subscribe to and figure out the answer with them. And there's some helpful content out there and there's some really unhelpful content. And there is something far more powerful about having relationships where you can actually speak to someone you know and who knows you and ask them that question and share with them what you're confused about because they can hear you out. Relationships, community, it's essential. We have to bump it up in our minds. Now, for many of us, I think the reason that we neglect relationships is because life is busy, because we have a million other things going on. And for us, I think, if, if, I, if you're like me, I should say, we view community as something that's optimal. That is the way I treat it often. Like, oh, yeah, that sounds great if I was able to do that. That would be optimal. But I've just got all of this other stuff. But we don't treat that. We don't take that approach with food. We don't take that approach with water. We don't take that approach with sleep because we see those things as essential. And just because we can continue to, you know, function and we won't necessarily die like you would if you don't eat, If you don't have community, there's something in the spiritual life where if you cut yourself off from relationships and try and have a lone ranger approach to spirituality, there's a sense in which your spiritual life will be deadened, will lose a lot of what God wants to teach you and show you and invite you into. And so what Jude would have us do in these last times is bump up the priority of relationships, It's an essential human need. God said in the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone, and he was right. So Jude would bump that priority above us. I want to offer two invitations to those of us who are here, those online, two invitations. The first invitation in light of this passage is to my City Rev fam that's a part of this church like you're in, you're, you're in a small group, you're part of a serving team, or this is more than just the place you attend or watch sermons online. You, you're known by your church. There are people in your church that you know how to be praying for them. You're connected. And, and for those of us who that's us, like this is our church home, we're a part of this family. What, what I wanna invite you to do is just remember what it was like when you were new. Remember and reflect on what it was like when you entered into a new place and didn't really know anyone, and it was a little bit intimidating, and you weren't sure what people would think of you. You weren't sure if anyone would even be interested in you, would say hi to you. I want you to remember what that was like, and then I want you to recall some of those first people that you connected with that talked to you, They got to know your name. And I want you to remember how that made you feel. Because here's the reality. For all of us who, this is our church family, there are people every single week come, and that's their experience. Every single week they watch online and they're brand new. Or they've been coming, but they just, beyond just attending on Sunday or watching online, they don't really know what else is next. They, they haven't taken a further step in. And what I want you to invite you, my City Rev fam, to do is to be a part of a culture, a church culture that walks across the room. To be a part of a church family that saves a seat at our table for someone who's new. To be one who sees a new face and is willing to walk across and say, Hi, my name is Justin. What's your name? Oh, how long have you been attending City Rev? Wonderful. And just get to know someone. We don't know what people walk through. We don't know what people, what brought them to here today. God might have that as an appointed conversation, a timely moment where he used, let's be a church that models the hospitality that Jesus has shown us. He's graciously welcomed us in. Let's be a church that graciously welcomes others in. The second invitation is for those who attend City Rev or watch regularly online, but you've never taken a further step in. Maybe you come pretty regularly or you're you're brand new, but beyond attending on a weekend or beyond watching online, you haven't taken a further step in. And what I want to invite you into is to take a a step in today. Throughout this series, we are, this We Are series, we're going to explore ways in which community is so helpful and ways that we can live out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in our city together, united like a family And I want to invite you to join us and be a part of that. There are so many different ways that you can experience Christian community at our church. The simplest and what I think is the best way to start and to get to know someone is by joining a small group, is by being a part of of a small group. I know in my own life, uh, if I could just share a bit of my own story, uh, I grew up in the church I grew up uh, going week in and week out on Sundays with my family. My grandfather was a preacher of a small Latin church in Miami, and uh, I remember going week in and week out, and I, I loved going to church as a kid, but one of the things that kind of set me back in my faith is I never really had any friends who shared my faith. So all throughout middle school and high school, I had you know my church network, but I never really hung out with them. I didn't have any relationships. I didn't have any friendships beyond that Sunday attendance, and that persisted until my freshman year of college. And when I was a freshman in college, I went to church uh, up in Gainesville, this church, and a a gentleman by the name of Terrell, this guy I became friends with, invited me to his Thursday night small group. And I said, sure, you know, I've never really done that. Sounds good. So I I go to his Thursday night small group, and I got to experience this 20-year-old guy's, you know, broke college budget cooking, which is fun. But he fed us, okay, very graciously. And I got to know these other guys who were in my stage of life. Here's what happened for the first time in my life at the age of 19. I became friends with people in my stage of life who also loved Jesus and who were following him and who were further along in their journey than I was and who had something to teach me and show me. For the first time in my life, I didn't just hear it sitting in a chair, hearing somebody else talk about it. I could actually see it lived out. I could see how they acted. I had a relationship with them that changed the trajectory of my life. God used those men, that small group of 20-year-old guys, to reshape and reset the trajectory of my faith and my life. My invitation to you, if you're attending City Rev, and you, for one reason or another, have just been... Maybe realize, look, I'm busy. I've got so much going on. Maybe another time. What I want to invite you into is to bump up the priority of relationships and community. And the simplest way to do that at our church is to join a small group. It's where we gather together. We get together, some of us on Zoom, some of us in person. We gather together. We pray for each other. We talk through the scripture. We ask questions and bring our own thoughts we learn together, pray for one another. it's a sweet time. And I want to invite you to experience that, that life-changing power of being in community with others. And so here's a simple way to do that. If you're interested, I want to invite you, right there where you are, if you would, grab your phone one more time, grab your phone. and if you're watching online uh, and you're able to do this, maybe open up another browser as you keep listening. But grab your phone. There's a simple way that you can if you're interested in in groups. You want to take a step in. I want to invite you to grab your phone and go to cityrev.org/groups right there in your web browser. cityrev.org/groups. If you have the City Rev app, you can go to the ministries tab and you could scroll down to groups that way as well, whichever you prefer. cityrev.org/groups. And what you'll find on that page is laid out really simply all the different types of groups that meet throughout our city in different places. There are men's groups, women's groups, co-ed groups, groups for all stages and seasons of life. And I would invite you to scroll through that list and before the day is over, maybe before this service is over, click on that button that says email the leader. And all that does is sends an email to that leader, says, hey, I'm interested. Would you just send me more information about joining that group? And here's what my invitation to you It's all about really taking one step in and saying, I'm not gonna treat it as optional or optimal. I'm gonna say for this season, I'm gonna prioritize. I wanna be in community. I want a richer church experience than one hour on Sunday. I want relationships throughout the week that encourage me, that pray for me, and that I can be used in their life as well. You can do that today, and that'll be a way in which God uses people to grow you, where you can experience strength when you're suffering and get counsel when you're confused. So what I wanna do right now is I'm gonna close us in prayer. And there's been a lot of invitations today. I wanna give one more invitation. If you're someone who's here and you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never put your faith in him, I wanna invite you right now to do that. Life is hard and time is short. We don't know the day or the hour that our time will be up, that Jesus will return. And Jesus invites you to think about that and experience peace, not anxiety, to experience hope, not fear. And the way you experience that hope is by putting your faith in Jesus. He died for you and he rose for you. And by giving your allegiance to him, your entire eternity can be changed. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, let's pray together right there where you are. If that's you, if today you're ready to receive Jesus as your savior, Would you just offer this type of prayer to God from your heart? Just make these words your words to God. Would you say, God, today I believe. Jesus, I trust in you. I believe you died for me. You took my sin. You buried it. It's gone. And I believe you rose from the dead. Jesus, I turn from living my life my way. And I surrender to living life your way. You're my Lord. Jesus, help us to go through this week uh, with a greater sense of our need for one another, realizing the necessity, just how essential it is to have brothers and sisters in our lives, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are our strength, who give us counsel, who are your means of growing us. We need that. Help us to live that out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you made that decision today to put your trust in Jesus as your savior, uh, that's just, <laughs> that's the most amazing decision you could ever make in your life. And we wanna be able to celebrate that and come alongside of you and help you in that journey of faith. In fact, we have a Bible for you. Uh, and so if you made that decision today, there's a link you can fill out at cityrev.org slash faith right there, cityrev.org. You fill that out. We would love to put one of these in the mail and send it your way so that you can begin getting to know more and more this God who loves you and made you. So you fill that out. You put your information down. We'll get this to you. We'll get you a Bible in your hands. We're going to close now with a song, a time of worship. So I want to invite all of us to stand. Let's respond and worship to our King. Thanks for listening.